0: Please note that today's episode includes discussion about eating disorders. Skylar is a fatherless daughter. Her dad, Kenny, died of cancer when she was 11 years old. She found dieting as a way to numb her feelings and now recognizes that her eating disorder was part of her grieving. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go to the show and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Skylar's story. Hi, this is Beth and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today I have with me Skylar and Skylar actually I didn't even verify this but I know you're a fatherless daughter. Um, I'm assuming that your mom is still alive. Yeah so she's not a daughter without a mom but she's a daughter without a dad as I am as well Um, and so I met Skylar online through uh, she did a a live with Randy from Grief and and I just love Randy and um, love the things that she does. And so I reached out to Skylar to ask her if she'd be willing to share. And she graciously said yes. And she's in the midst of some major life things going on, preparing for a wedding next month. Is that correct?
1: November 10th, yes. 20 something days. (laughs) Wow. So
0: I said, we can reschedule. And she said, no, no, no. Um, So I really appreciate you being here today. Uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to Skylar, let her introduce herself and tell us her story. And then I will be back with some questions at the end. So thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I, as Beth said, my name is Skylar Harrison, um, and I lost my dad to cancer when I was 11. Um. And I think today I want to start this story a little sooner, earlier than I normally do. Um, Because my grief journey and what would so become so tangled as I face my grief later in my life um, was my dad's addiction. So I grew up in a A small white ranch house with my mom and my dad and my dad was life personified he's the one who wanted to he did a lot of traditionally maybe female things like he's the one who wanted to organize the sleepovers and he um you know all my friends wanted him to do their hair um we'd call him monsieur kenny and he'd speak with a french accent um he he was creative and full of life um and the life of the party everybody loved kenny um but when he drank there was a a darker side there was a lot of anger a lot of volatility um and my mom said you know if you can't get your drinking in control we need to separate and he didn't um so when my parents separated and then became and then got a divorce my dad's drinking really got worse um and I became scared of him. Um, It it was a complicated situation because there was one side that he was the fun parent. And um, then there was the other side where I started to dread seeing him after a few, um, I think the word traumatic is overused a little bit, but after a few traumatic drinking events. Um, So that's what was going on in my life before the cancer diagnosis. And I remember the start of this cancer story happened in my dad's condo, which was the place, um, he moved to when he moved out of our house and he was going to bring me back home to my mom, you know, the weekend changeover. And he was just like nervous and weird standing in the kitchen and it just didn't feel like my dad. He was kind of an effortless person. Um, and he said, Skylar, I need to tell you something. I've bit my tongue and I need to have surgery and it's fine. So there wasn't, there wasn't any C word, but like, we are so intuitive as children. I was just like, I don't know what you're telling me, but this is like, my life is about to change. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this feels weird and big. Um, and so that summer, so apparently my dad had, had tongue cancer and I guess, um, had surgery for that. And that summer was the summer of radiation and it was a really beautiful, summer in our lives, my dad um, moved into a new house with a pool that he adored. And we'd go to radiation. And then I'd sit and read my babysitter club book while I was waiting for him. And, and we'd swim and we'd play gin rummy out on the deck and listen to music. And it was a really good season. Um, and looking back, I think it's because my dad was sober, you know, the doctor had said to, you know, cut out alcohol. Um, so, and then the next couple cancer moments, it's kind of like, you know, like those kaleidoscopes or viewfinders where it's like picture, picture, picture. It just like jumps for me. I don't necessarily remember the time I remember the events. My dad's cancer came back. I remember a dark, dark hospital room. He had surgery on his neck and I remember being there. And then I remember him dying. Um, So my mom wanted us to go visit him as much as possible. But at this point, uh, you know, I hated it. When we would go over to his house, he was like a mummy. He, the cancer was like literally eating his throat. So he couldn't speak. We couldn't listen to music, which was like his life force. Couldn't turn on the TV because it it was too painful. Um, So he, you know, his neck was wrapped and it was wrapped around his head. And, you know, we just sat there. Um, And the last time I saw him, we went to visit and I remember him. Um, my mom said it's time to go because we had lunch with one of her friends and he, you know, asked if we could stay a, a few more minutes, which was very rare. Um, and he held my hand and I remember like looking at his hand and, and I, like wanting to memorize it for some reason, you know, children are so intuitive. We just do what we do. We're not like as in our heads, I guess. Um, and then we left and my mom was locking up the door and there's this big, like terracotta pot with yellow flowers in it. And I remember looking at the pot and being like, that's the last time you're going to see your dad. No one had told me anything. My mom did not know that this was going to be the last time. Maybe we had months, like we didn't know, but I just had this like surge of intuition. And and so this voice or something said, you know, that's the last time you're going to see your dad. And I was like, yeah, I know in my head. Um, I can't, I think it was like two days after that or something like that my mom says it's a, it was a Wednesday. We were at home and this woman who was one of my mom's friends recommendations, she was a feng shui decorator. And, um, a stranger was in our house and she was like leading us through our home basically just like ripping on it about how like horrible the energy was. And I could tell my mom just like was really deflated. I think she thought this was going to help this like tragedy we were in. Um, and I remember the phone ringing and my mom, I was in the kitchen with this woman and my mom went back down the hall to her bedroom uh, to answer the phone, and I remember hearing her scream—not scream, but just you know that like wail—and I just knew, you know, like I knew what that phone call was. Um, and I, so we, um, we drove this woman back to her hotel, and it was raining, and I was sitting in the back seat, and I heard my mom and this woman kind of whispering and my mom kind of called back to me and said like, your daddy died. Um, which is interesting. My mom and I have made like so many repairs, uh, in later in life. Interesting to me that, uh, no one looked me in the eyes to tell me and so I just kind of said, I know, or whatever. Um, and then we went home and we got in bed. And for Mother's Day, I had gotten my mom this like little heart. It's like um, a flat metal heart. And you put like these teeny, teeny candles, like teeny, teeny candles in the heart. Um, so I had gotten her that for like Mother's Day or something. And my mom, we got in her bed and my mom said, do you want to light a candle? And I was like, yeah. And so we lit it. And I think this is probably one of the most like spiritual moments I've ever had. And I think anyone who hasn't experienced death is going to roll their eyes at this. Um, but, and you know, my dad, he just wanted to be with his girls. Like he did not want this divorce. He wanted to be with us and he ended up, you know, dying alone in his house, but when we lit that candle, like I swear, like I felt his soul leaving, you know. Um, and my mom asked me the next morning if I wanted to uh go to school. And I don't know why, but I said I definitely wanted to go to school. And I remember walking in and sitting down, we had assigned seats and the girls at my three top were just like looking at me and they're like, what's wrong? Like, what's wrong? And I couldn't say it. I had to get a piece of paper and I wrote, my dad died and I pushed it back over. And um, we'll get into this later uh cuz eating disorders would soon follow but um eating disorders are self silencing diseases you can't speak your needs your feelings and so you turn inward trying to control things um so it's so interesting to me that i couldn't use my voice in that moment it was just like literally too much um and you feel like an alien, like the way people look at you. Like they don't, children don't understand what that means. I didn't understand what it meant that my dad had died. Um, it was, yeah, it was lonely. And I remember I went over and I remember it so clearly I went over to my teacher. I was at a Montessori school. So the classroom, you could kind of like roam freely. Um, and a new student, someone who's not in our class, they were just like there testing out the school. She was sitting with this new student. I remember exactly what he looked like. Um, and I said, hi, I need to talk to you. And so I waited patiently until she was done. And even her as an adult, she's very kind and very sweet. But I could tell she didn't quite get it, you know. Um, Like some of the things she was suggesting, I was just like, you're an adult. Don't you understand? Life's more complicated than this. I just remember being like, okay. (laughs) Um, And I have a huge memory gap here. You know, it's gone. That time is gone after this. My next like real memory, oh, I guess I should talk about the funeral. Um, I wanted to wear blue and my mom, my dad's mom said it was inappropriate and that felt really hard. I knew my dad would love the blue (laughs) dress. Um, And I remember sitting in between my mom and my uh this woman cherry who she was she helped my mom when i was a baby and then she she would babysit me she was a huge figure in my life like she was a huge mother figure uh to me and my she was like love like unconditional love personified and i was just like felt so safe sitting by her and my grandmother who was my dad's mom and our relationship was tense um she came over to me and she said get up you need to move family sits over here and so I remember I just like my my mom came with us. Not that she was necessarily invited, <laughs> but um, and that was really hard. Um, and I remember the, I, I I guess is it the the, the priest or whomever was speaking. Um, I remember him saying my name once. Like Kenny had a daughter. And I just moaned, you know, I just like this guttural release. Um, and th- as we were walking out, I saw my PE teacher. This is not someone I had a relationship with necessarily. And he was just standing there in a suit. Like what? Like he wears khaki shorts every day. Um, I think, as an adult, it was confusing to see him there, you know, like, wouldn't you see your dentist at the grocery store or something? <laughs> um, but looking back now, it's like beyond moving to me. I think to leave school in the middle of the day to come to a child's funeral, not a child's funeral, but a funeral that you wanna be there for one of your students. I think something I've just really learned about this whole thing of being a fatherless daughter is people don't wanna look at pain. They do not wanna look, which would be my story soon. We'll get into it. and that meant a lot, you know, that meant a lot. Um, so this is where my time gap is. No memories. My next memory is my mother comes into the office. And I remember just sitting there, like not the TV on. I was just like sitting there. And my mom said, get up. We're going to the ballet studio. I had been in dance, um, you know, on and off my whole life. But I had taken a little bit of a break and I started dancing again. And at first it was, it was a lifeline. It brought a life force back into my life. I have never used that word in my life. And now I've said it twice. (laughs) I started making friends. I daydreamed about point shoes. You know, I became obsessed. And um, then um, this woman from the Royal Ballet, this British woman came to our studio and my mom became enamored with her first. She was the real deal, the real deal. She had danced with Schuttgart Ballet and the Royal Ballet and My mom was actually the one that started taking private lessons with her first and then got me into it. She became my God. I would do anything to please her, to make her love me. Um, And it was a very, very sweet relationship at first. But as I got older, I wasn't enough. I wasn't pretty enough for her. I wasn't thin enough. Uh, I told my therapist a couple months ago, I could name every single one of my body parts and tell you what is wrong with it from her eyes. You know, my Achilles tendons are too short. My cheeks are too full. Um, And... I got injured and she stopped talking to me because we didn't go to the physical therapist that she recommended. That was a death for me. And I was 13, 13 or 14. And I, um, was at Borders, Uh, Borders, Barnes and Noble, I can't remember which, Um, and I passed this book called The South Beach Diet, and it was so beautiful. I was just like, oh my God, a Bible in a sense, right? This is how I will get love. Um, so while I was injured, I started dieting. I, um, was very naturally thin at this point. Um, and this control, it's just hypnotic, you know, and, and looking back, the fact that my first diet was paired with losing someone, losing the favor or the love of someone and, and what my pattern would be like throughout high school. There was an, uh, unconscious part of me that thought if I can be perfect enough, if I can be thin enough, if I can be beautiful enough, I can control how people love me and I will never be left again. Um, so that was my grieving process perfectionism, obsession. If I can just become a professional ballet dancer, um, I hated myself. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I could not look at myself in the mirror. I would get eyeline corrections. My chin was too high because I was trying to avoid looking at myself in the mirror in the dance studio. Um, and I, um, after this first diet and I my injury healed. I came back to dance and I was so thin. And I just was like, damn, like I'm going to be loved so hard. This is amazing. And I go up to this teacher and I say, I wanted feedback on my body because I knew I was going to get praise. And she said more bones in my chest yeah, so my I started rebelling uh, about a year later. Um, I would steal food at school and eat in private. I would ravage our pantry when my mom was asleep, um, and then starve myself the next day. Um everything was out of control. Like if I could be thin or perfect or whatever, but then you know, I started binge eating and what I've learned is binge eating is actually a great gift. It is your body telling you, I'm so worried about you because you're starving yourself and you need to eat. There's nothing messy or wrong or uncontrollable about me. My body didn't want me to starve itself, you know? Um, But that there was like so much shame there. Um, and my ballet teacher was talking to my mom. Why is Skylar gaining weight? It was like this whole thing. And eventually I confessed and, (laughs) um, anyway, I've gotten off track, um, on, on the eating disorder thing, but I actually haven't because that was my grieving, I was obsessed with this, and there was no room for my father. He did not exist. The only times he existed were when I felt like intense. I remember at my eighth grade graduation, it was like, oh, it's time to celebrate the dads of St. Alquin. And I ran into the bathroom and started crying. And it was the first time it was like, Oh, I am a fatherless daughter. That is my new label, you know? And I have felt deep hate for people who have fathers. If I overheard someone as, you know, like in my twenties saying the word like on the phone and calling their dad, daddy, I would just be like, Oh, that's disgusting. And like, it's just such deep jealousy and hate. Um, Anyhow. So my grief hit me like a ton of bricks in my early twenties. I had transitioned out of ballet, um, and transitioned into drinking. So it's, that's like too simple. I, um, I went to film school and then I moved to LA, my first adult apartment and my drinking just caught up with me. And I started in my early twenties, I started fiercely missing my dad. I would come home and drink and Google him and cry. And, um, I was emailing his old friends asking for stories. I was writing essays about him at work. I was obsessed with this man that I desperately wanted to know, but never got to know, you know, um, I remember calling my mom one night and I was, I was wasted, um, which wasn't rare. I did all my drinking in private. I was perfect. In fact, the first time I told someone, I went to AA, they said, but you can't be an alcoholic. You're perfect, (laughs) which is a very female thing, you know, um, so I called my mom and I was just bawling and I said, "Why mom? Why couldn't he stop drinking for us?" And she just said, "I don't know." Um so I I I felt rage toward my dad and then I also had to come to the terms that what I hated most about him I also had Um I remember when I was right after my dad's death, we were or kind of driving to the studio. And I said to the dance studio, I told my mom, I said, maybe it's a good thing. Dad died. He had caused so much havoc in our life with the drinking. And I was scared of him. And, and there was a peace that came with his absence. Yeah. So anyhow, <laughs> I hit rock bottom after rock bottom. Um, and until it just there's this phrase like sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, um, a lot of my drinking, drinking came from relationship insecurities. I was very anxiously attached and terrified that I was going to be left at all times. That is really what fueled my drinking. I couldn't tolerate being left anymore. Um, so I had rock bottom after rock bottom and I remember, and I never got sober. I was thinking about it. It, it percolates. It's just like this incessant, like, do you, do, is my relationship with alcohol bad? It just like runs in a tape and you justify it. Um, and I remember my therapist at the time saying, I had had another fight with Max, my fiance because I had been drinking. And she said to me, can't rock bottom be a fight? Like it doesn't have to be falling in the gutter or losing your job or, you know, basically she was saying like, isn't enough enough? Can't rock bottom be a quiet whisper? I was just so tired. I was just so tired. Um so in getting sober I started letting my dad in. It was like the years of just like searching for him. I remember sitting down and writing him a letter and saying like dad, that thing that you have, I have that thing too. He was one of the first people I admitted this to. And I remember in that letter I said Like, it was like, P.S., can I call you daddy? It feels wrong and it feels weird. It feels like a word that's only meant for other girls, not for me. So I was, like, wondering if I could call you that. Um, And then in, in my sobriety, um... I started dieting again. It was just like one addiction kind of like moved to the other. Um, I just, for the record, I don't believe in food addiction, Um, but I just meant one coping mechanism moved to the other. Um, And my last piece of sobriety was finding intuitive eating, which is a healing modality uh, for disordered eating, eating disorders, really the basis of it is unconditional permission to eat. And the thing about not drinking and not restricting is all that's left are your feelings and learning to tolerate my feelings is true sobriety is true presence. And I still work on that every freaking day, you know, I, I miss my dad. It is a, it is an ache deeper than any ache and that's okay. I think it's, you know, loss of identity has been such a huge piece of this, not knowing him. People are like, what was his favorite food? I'm like, I don't know. Um, and I told my therapist yesterday, it was like, the more I get to know myself, the more I feel like I get to know him. Um, I might not know his favorite food or his shoe shoe size or, you know, whatever, but I feel him so deeply when I go to the beach or listen to music. Um, my mom, I called my mom the other day for logistical wedding stuff. And it was just like on my mind. And I said, um, did dad have a favorite flower? Like, I'm trying to figure out how to like subtly, um, you know, incorporate him into the wedding. And she was like, no, um, she was like, you know, when I think of Kenny, I think of music and i just started bawling. It's always there. Like it's always right in my body and feelings just want to be felt. And i still try and avoid them, but i needed that. I have been busying myself with wedding planning like i needed to feel that. Um I'll wrap this up by just saying I miss him so profoundly. Um, and I think his joy has really made me seek joy in my own life too, though. Yeah. (laughs) You made me get all teary. (laughs) Uh,
0: That's,
1: uh, yeah. Well, what's that? Did I talk too long? I like forgot to look at the clock. <laughs> no, ma'am. Not at all. Not at all. Um. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a very special relationship between moms and daughters. I mean, that's why I, I went back to my first loss, which was my mom, but man, there are just some things
1: that, that you I mean, want your dad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah something that I've never said this to someone who's like, so identifies with mother loss, like your podcast is about mother loss. Um, so it'll be interesting to say, but, uh, in my experience, um, and I know you've lost your dad too, but, um, people throughout my life have told me, oh, well, it wasn't your mom. Like that, like, um, I think there's a lot more support Maybe, I don't know, you tell me for motherless daughters, because that's such a you know, that's such a deep relationship. Um, so that it does feel a little bit lonely, like this father loss piece. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm not a big social media fan, but I think one of the benefits of it is that there is there is normally you can find People that are have are in your space like i mean off the top of my head i think of um invisible wounds is about her losing her dad Mm. she's a fatherless daughter you should totally look her up because i think she's a little younger than you um but she's she's really 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 great um so did you find a way to um incorporate your dad into your wedding? I was saying when you said about the flowers that you didn't know, I was like, well, what about those yellow flowers from the
1: terracotta pot? True. That's true. Um we decided, uh Max and I decided that while we're signing the paperwork, we're gonna put on a playlist that my dad um would love and my fiance Max also lost his mother about eight years ago and she was she was quite a character bedazzled everything um and she would like hand out light up pins to like random people (laughs) so I think we're gonna sign the documents with one of her pins oh that's great that's so good um
0: well I I love that music is your connection with your dad. That's one, the one um, legacy I hope to leave with my kids because I've tried to expose them to all different kinds of music, you know, like I took my two daughters to the final Fleetwood Mac tour. Um, like we've gone to John Mayer and Jack Johnson and it's, that's what I hope my legacy is too. So um, have you told your kids that? Yes. hmm I've told them that I'm proud of them. Like my, my oldest daughter was at some like big country concert, but it was right after um Prince died and he did like a whole tribute to Prince and none of her friends knew who Prince was. And she was completely offended. She was like, how can you not know?
1: As she should have been.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, so oh. I was like, oh, they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah. Like I, I like geography and things like that are not my gifts, but you put an 80 song on and like 90% of the time, I know every word <laughs> so music is my, my language also. So, yeah, I love that you have that from your dad. Um, and just so many parts of your story are just so profound. Like the, I, I, I starred next to this is how I will get love man it's so you know I'll be perfect and then I can control it and then if I, if I am perfect everybody will love me and um I, what a narrative that is that I believe especially now like I look at teenage girls now and what they have to endure and be exposed to um, um
1: yeah and that's like social media too um it just horrifies me I'm like ah I'm so glad I didn't grow up with social media um and um but yeah the what I'm finding is that authenticity or perfection is the antithesis of authenticity so like you actually can't be loved well no I don't want to say you can't be loved like we should all be loved unconditionally anyhow but um perfectionism is a wall in between you and someone. Mm -hmm. That is how you put up a wall to
0: love. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what I did. I didn't control my food, but I controlled everything else. Like if I got all the good grades and I did all the things and I checked all the boxes of what society said, you know, was the right thing to do, then everybody would love me and I wouldn't be a nuisance. I would be (laughs) silent, but I would be good.
1: Do you know (sighs) what I mean? Yes, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yes. Yeah, yep, yeah, it's just so... I was reading, I saw like a meme the other day that was like, if you were a pleasure to have in class, maybe you just actually had unresolved trauma. (laughs)
0: So true, (laughs) so true. Oh man, oh that's so true. Uh, And the other thing that I also just connected with with your story is, I think I published this on the blog on my website. Is my my mantra was left behind. Like I was always left behind. That you know that you were going to get left and be alone, which you also talked about as well. Um, But yeah, it's just. It's really, really uh, remarkable how you, I, I often say, they say, you know, that, well, kids are so resilient, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which they are, but it's also that they're intuitive mm-hmm. and they're resilient because they're keeping it all in and, you know, they don't have anybody to talk to about it and their brains can't literally, you know, we talked about this before we started recording that they can't actually process the capacity of what they're enduring. Uh, but are, are we confusing resilience with like perfectionism and the shutting down and
1: the intuitiveness? Um, you know? Okay. I have a question for you then. Cause it, something just clicked. Did you, this perfectionism, you know, like don't make a mess. Don't be like a burden uh did you feel like you ever had to be like a caretaker to your dad or parentified in any way like um you know I didn't want my mom to be more sad like I just wanted everything to be okay um which I also think plays into the like be small be quiet don't speak needs did you experience that at all I did. Um, like I remember,
0: my mom was like the vacuum fanatic. She loved the lines in the carpet, right? And so we had chores because she worked, and so we would get home before she did, and we had chores that we would do. And I absolutely was running that vacuum because I didn't want to add to her day when she came home. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I think I was. I think my sister probably felt that more than I did, but I definitely was thrown into adult things as a 13 year old that no 13 year old had any business like doing. Like I actually just listened to my story last night on the podcast because it's been a long time since I shared it. Um after my mom died, my sister and I at 13 and 16 went back to we lived in Florida with my dad went back to Illinois and packed up the house by ourselves. I was like, how did I even get to the air from the airport to the you know there was not Uber in 1983. Oh Uh, so it was more of things like that is what I think back to just you know literally thrown into an adult world when you're not an adult
1: yeah there are people who go until they're 50 60 and never have to pack up a parent's house right Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
0: so uh i am just really impressed with the work that you have done on your journey at the ripe old age of 32 years old because it took me a lot longer um and i'm not you know comparing anything but i just i listen to your story and just think wow it it is so much work um it is so hard to let that grief hit you like a ton of bricks but like you said you were sick and tired of being sick and tired and i was sick and tired of um the wall, I had a wall up. My husband, we we talked we would just celebrate twenty six years of marriage this week, and we, we talk about how. Well, I shouldn't say this to you because you're just getting ready to get married, but oh. like, the things that the things that attracted us to each other in the very beginning, uh, sometimes over years, end up being the thing that is the thing that might annoy you the most about your spouse. <laughs> I believe it. But what he loved about me was my independence. But my independence was that checking all the boxes and doing all the things and that wall you know
1: oh that's so fascinating which which was related to your grief so you know this grief like it it goes into who you pick as your partner and um Max and I we've been together um a long time for you know our age um and when I met him, he was getting over a girlfriend he was not available and I was drinking and I was like love me love me love me but what I've learned now is you're only you can only receive the amount of love that you can tolerate what you can only what am I trying to say what I'm trying to say is we were actually both unavailable and I couldn't tolerate too much love because there's avoidance because if I give myself to someone and actually love them, they might leave. So as we've both healed our tolerance to get closer, it's hard. Yeah.
0: I think the amount of love you can receive is uh, proportionate to the amount of love you're willing to give.
1: Yes, I think that's what I was trying to say. Mm -hmm. But if you have that wall, like it's not, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh,
1: yeah, it's been a journey and it will
0: continue to be a journey. Um, I have real, uh, offer blessings to you and Max as you're preparing for starting this next part of your relationship as a family. Um, I pray that it is a blessing for you is, you know, like my, my husband, and I, what we're kind of empty nesters. The 19 year old is still at home because he chose not to go off to college. But, um, I would say like, you know, just keep, keep, keep your relationship in the forefront. Um, you know, I think a lot of times people lose and also at the same time, respect who you are as individuals. Like my husband and I have very different passions that we enjoy separately, but, We never lost our connection as husband and wife, which is really, really important because I can see when people get to the empty nest and if you choose to have kids or are blessed with kids that they leave and you kind of go, oh,
1: hello, who are you? Wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that advice. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I'm going to pass that on to Max too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I
0: usually wrap up with a final takeaway or if there's something that you want to share with the listeners before we um, end the interview.
1: Um, I think there's two Great. little bits. Um, pain is okay. Avoiding pain is only going to make the other pain come up in a much bigger, wilder way. It is okay to hurt. Our feelings want to be felt. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, and this is so much easier than when I was a kid, with social media programs, grief groups, um, find someone who speaks your language. Mm -hmm. That's other fatherless daughters for me. To just have someone that goes, oh, my God, I get it." it. It is revolutionary.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, and are you okay with with tagging you in the show notes and things like that? Because you're doing you're doing all kinds of things with your intuitive eating and your journey. And um, so if you have connected with Skylar's story today, I will put her Instagram um handle in the show notes and any other things that Skylar decides to share with us because um, you've done a tremendous amount of work and you're, it's going to continue to be, um, allowing yourself to feel the feelings and, um, trying to not put up our walls or realize that there's so much that we don't have control of. Um, yeah, yeah. So, well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thank you, Beth. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at
1: gmail.com.